Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Latinos Who Tech. My name is Hugo Castellanos. I'm an engineer, and I work anywhere I want, because it's 2020. And as long as I have Wi-Fi, I can get my job done. So thank you, everybody that's listening to this. I just finished a road trip from California all the way home to Florida. It was approximately nine days driving. We took our time stopping at national parks. Uh, I should add that we also stopped in Nashville, Tennessee for a month because uh, me and my partner, we we love the South, the culture, the music, the food, and we wanted to check it out as a potential new base of operations for us. Uh, we think that it's going to be Austin 2.0, and we wanted to check it out. We liked it, uh, but ultimately we decided to stay closer to our family in Orlando, so we made the trip and now we are home. So it's been a journey, uh, and thank you for everybody that's being supportive, you know, sending messages over Instagram, email, and uh, I really appreciate it. I really appreciate it, and I really thank you for your patience as I'm putting new content for all of you podcast listeners. And also for the people watching it over in YouTube, thank you. Uh, so you can check it out, uh, just look uh, look up in YouTube, Latinos Who Tech, uh, or my name, Hugo Castellanos, and you'll find the channel. So, also, you know, quick housekeeping. Uh, thank you, everybody, in Patreon uh, that supports us. Uh, thank you for the new mic. This is amazing. Uh, I got the SM7V. Uh, it's the one that uh, folks like like Joe Rogan uses, like Tim Ferriss uses. So I'm really happy, and I want to thank you uh, for making this possible. So now that I've mentioned that, I like to remind you that you can also write to us, you know, hello at Latinos Who Tech, and you can let us know your thoughts. You know, did you enjoy the content that we're putting together? Do you have any ideas for new content? Any questions? And also, I want to remind you that often you hear me talk about SHEP, the Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, and a lot of the guests that you listen to in the show, I know them either because of SHEP events or because networking events uh, from companies in Silicon Valley and all over the US, but mostly from SHEP. Uh, so, you know, SHEP is being paramount, helping me get to where I am uh, when it comes to being a technical professional, not only from the technical standpoint, but also from the soft skills standpoint. So things like public speaking. How do you network? How do you build strategic relationships with people inside your industry and outside your industry? So that's why I'm happy to announce that this episode is brought to you by SHEP, Leading Hispanics in STEM. So if you're looking for your dream job or internship, uh, the SHEP National Convention is just around the corner. It's going to be happening in October 26th through the 31st, anywhere you are, because it's going to be virtual. So if you are looking for your next opportunity, uh, I think it's the easiest way of getting it. So you're going to join thousands of professionals on this virtual gathering, and they're going to be offering cutting-edge content, including 
mine. <laughs> I'm a guest for uh, two workshops. Uh, I'm going to be doing a workshop on remote work. So actionable things that you can do as a team leader and as an individual contributor to have a healthy remote work environment. And I'm also going to be doing a session on my chef story with my good friend Eileen Tapia, uh, one of my mentees. We're going to be looking at her story, how she got into SHAP. Uh, she's a first-generation Mexican-American engineer. So super excited to, to learn about her story. I'm going to keep it informal. It's going to be like a podcast uh, kind of conversation. So if you do sign up for the conference, you will get to enjoy that workshop. As well as more than 200 others live and on-demand sessions. Everything about negotiation. Uh, not also negotiation, but also, uh, you know, resume critiques, how to break into a career in aerospace engineering, industrial engineering, oil and energy, because you have a plethora of 250 companies attending the conference to deliver sessions and also to recruit actively for job opportunities. So you can sign up for the SHEP conference. Uh, and to sign up for the conference, you can register before October 12th at shep.org slash 2020. So that's shep.org slash 2020. So go sign up and land your next dream job or dream internship. Thank you. In this episode, I spoke with my friend Soraida Martinez. Uh, she's also, uh, like Eileen, she's a first-generation uh, engineer here in the U.S., originally from Mexico. And we spoke about public speaking. So we spoke about public speaking in this new context of doing virtual presentations. So we spoke about Toastmasters and resources that helped her become the great speaker she is today. So I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thanks again, Shep, for sponsoring this episode. Uh, enjoy the rest of the show. Thank you. So, so I, I've been wanting to do this episode with you for, I mean, since I've had the podcast, essentially, because uh, you are one of the leaders at Shep that I, I look up the most. Uh, I just, I really admire the way that you command a executive presence when you are doing a, a speech in front of students or professionals. I really like your style. Uh, so the idea of, okay, I want to do an episode with you about public speaking, that's been in my roadmap for a while. So thank you so much for making the time. Yeah, thank you for inviting me. I think that's um, public speaking is, and communication as a whole is something that's important. And for me to be able to provide the lessons that I've learned along the way through my involvement in not just public speaking, but public speaking education, I would love to share whatever it is that I can. So tell me uh, a bit about yourself, uh, you know, for the folks that don't know you. Uh, and again, they probably heard about you if, they, if they're being listening to Latinos Who Tech for a while, but uh, how do you introduce yourself? Well, I'm gonna, in the sense of public speaking and Toastmasters, which I hope we'll talk a little bit more throughout the, the, the conversation, I'm gonna do a quick table topics type of conversation 
our introduction in regards to that question that you asked me about introducing myself. My name is Soraya Martinez. I was born in La Piedad, Michoacán, Mexico. My family and I immigrated to the United States when I was nine, shortly after my dad passed away. Uh, we migrated into the United States and I was always a fan of math. That was really one of the pathways for me to get involved in STEM. I, when I was in high school, I found out that I was undocumented and that really restarted my journey in trying to discover a new way for, of life for myself. During that time, I wanted to go to college. I knew I wanted to go to college and I got many no's from professors, from advisors telling me that I wasn't going to be able to college be go to college because I didn't have the proper documentation. I was told that if I didn't have the, the proper documentation to be able to apply for financial aid, I was not going to be able to afford college. Lucky for me, I was able to find an advisor who was well known in, in that area and who said, you have really good grades. You can go to college. Right. I graduated in 2005 and in 2001, the California Dream Act had just passed, which allows students like myself to go to college and pay in-state tuition. And that advisor helped me get to, to college. She uh, helped me apply for private scholarships and I ended up graduating uh, from high school with over $8,000 worth of private scholarships to attend college. So that's where I began my journey in STEM. I, I, I went to Fresno State, graduated with a degree in computer engineering. While I was at Fresno State, I was highly involved because I didn't have a work authorization. I didn't have the opportunity to get many internships, which is very valuable for students nowadays. And what I did was I focused my energy on learning the skills that I knew were needed to have a successful career once I graduated. And I got involved in a lot of student organizations. Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers was one of them, Society of Women Engineers, IEEE. I was involved in a lot of organizations that really allowed for me to promote my leadership and communication skills. And I think that's really what allowed for me to be a well-rounded professional once I graduated. And after I graduated, I didn't have a work permit. Fortunate enough for me, again, I graduated in 2012, shortly after the California uh, DACA passed, uh, which is another legal um, way that students like myself who had attended college, had attended an educate or had obtained an education in the United States, were able to obtain a work permit, and that's where I began my career in the STEM field. Um, I worked at Foster Farms now as a computer as a programmer analyst, supporting the sales and marketing projects, and I continue to volunteer through SHEP and other student, or student professional organizations to promote STEM awareness, access and support in any way I can. So that's in a nutshell, my story. No, th thank you for sharing that. And, and I find it extremely inspiring by the fact that, uh, you know, even though that you probably have a harder time, I mean, you definitely have a harder time getting to some of the, the opportunities that some folks take for granted, you don't let that stop you. And you still make time to volunteer and to actually be a, be a person, be a role model in the community. So I, I commend you for that. Uh, thank you thank you for opening up about DACA and all those things. No, definitely. And I think one of the things that, that's important, not just as a STEM professional, but also as a documented uh, professional, 
it's important to know and understand that all the skills that you've learned along the ways are milestones that you can bring back to the community to help them achieve where you are now. And I think as I was in my journey to getting my career in STEM, there was a lot of individuals that did that for me. There was a lot of mentors, advisors, peers, a lot of people within SHIP that were there for me to guide me through the process. Sometimes them willingly knowing that they were helping me and other times not without them even knowing that they were helping me, they were just there offering what they knew and what they had learned along the way. And I think that's a valuable thing to have when it comes to mentoring and being able to give back to the community, which is why I continue to do that any opportunity that I can, because if I can, if my skills and the things that I have learned can provide somebody with an access to a resource that maybe they didn't think was available, to me, that's extremely valuable. Definitely, definitely. And and I find that it, it, it marries well into this idea that we, we've talked about in the podcast about the, the invisible scripts, uh, things that we say again and again to, to ourselves that can be, to be frank, a little bit dangerous, right? So things like, uh, oh, people like me, when we're not supposed to go to college or, oh, I'm just not good at math or networking for what? I'm only going to work at XYZ forever. Mm-hmm. So I I love the fact that, okay, listen, like I'm DACA, I'm a dreamer. I'm, I'm part of this. The, uh, I have had these circumstances be part of my life and I'm dealing with them and I'm still a professional and I can still uh, work on my development and mentoring, being a mentee, being a mentor, do all these things. Uh, so no, thank you for breaking that cycle. No, definitely, and I think it's it's important for people to know that we hear this term often in different professional settings or just in general. We hear the 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 term called imposter syndrome, right? And it's this idea that you are in a place where you feel that you either don't belong or you shouldn't be there, or you sometimes disbelieve the fact that you deserve to be in that position. And I think. For my situation, the number one time that I felt that was one when I stepped into this country for the first time, right? And it's funny because you develop certain patterns and certain behaviors that you learn to pick up where people try to put you in a box and people try to say you either belong here or you don't. And it's not just with, with you know, it can be with anything else. I break all the minority. I'm, I'm the minority at this extreme. I'm a female in a STEM field. I am a documented in the STEM field. Um, I'm a first generation Latina with an engineering degree. So definitely there's a lot of room for other people to put a narrative to my story. But I think one of the most important things for people to know and understand is that no matter what that situation is, we always have the choice to know and to tell ourselves i do belong here i am skilled and i am capable of doing this so no matter what you know other people say or what narratives we try to tell ourselves we can, we always have the opportunity and the decision to change that narrative i'm curious on a, on a more like tactical level 
because imposter syndrome is something that we experience. Uh, I think it's something that you don't really graduate from it. It's not that, oh, I used to have it and now I don't have it. I find that at the further you go up in your, your career, your role, you get more responsibilities, you probably get a different kind of imposter syndrome, I guess, like it mutates. Uh, so I'm curious on how do you, from a tactical standpoint, how do you manage it? You know, how do you keep it in check? Yeah, definitely. I think that's an interesting question because I just gave a presentation in regards to that about breaking into tech, that was some of the barriers that we overcome. And I focus specifically on my undocumented and documented story. But I brought in the idea that the lessons that I learned to overcome that part of my life and that part of who I was, I was able to use the, those patterns and those be learning behaviors to apply to other imposter syndrome situations that I was faced with. And that was this just telling me myself those same things, that I belong here, I am capable, and I am skilled. And I think once you understand those things for yourself and being able to reflect of where you are in that situation and allowing yourself to tell yourself those three things. And I think one of my good mentors and that I look up to and and that is very involved with SHIP, Diana Gomez once said on one of the SHIP Dina events, she said, they asked her, how do you overcome imposter syndrome? And she said, Sometimes you have to just take a step back, pat yourself on the back and tell yourself you are a badass. Um, excuse me. I don't know if you can use that no, word. No, but... no, that's totally fine. <laughs> this is totally fine. Uh, don't worry. The, the two or three people that listen to this, they're, they're adults. So they, they, don't, they don't mind that at all. <laughs> and I think that's very true. You have to build a pattern for yourself where you are, when you have that little voice in your mind that we call the imposter syndrome is to have an understanding of one reflecting on what it what is it that you're feeling or what is why is it that you're feeling that way and most of the time it's going to be that you have that insecurity because you feel that you shouldn't be there you shouldn't or you don't belong there so again having that systematic steps of stepping back reflecting and then telling yourself those three things i belong here i am capable and i am skilled and i think for me that has worked in every aspect where Sometimes you know, I'm in a position where I get that anxiety of I don't belong here or I'm going to get caught. I shouldn't. I'm not capable of doing this. But taking a step back, reflecting on the situation and being able to tell yourself those three things is really what has helped me overcome that. I love it. I love it. I, I take a similar approach. So I do have my, my affirmation that I, I switch up every quarter or so depends on what I'm focused on and I just write up my journal every day it, but I also I always recommend this strategy of uh, having a, a kudos folder or a kudos file so like every time that you get an email from a, a colleague or a customer or it doesn't have to be an email even like a text or something just take a screenshot and put it in a folder in your phone or your computer and call it kudos you know, whenever you're having a bad day and you're thinking that, uh, you know, that feeling that you have after a vacation that uh, you like you go out for two weeks and you come back and, oh, wow, I forgot how to do my own job. <laughs> Just go at it, spend 20 minutes looking at it and, like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm actually pretty good at this. And then, like, you know, you'll get back into the, the swing of things. So um, No, yeah, that definitely. Good. That's a good tip. I, I think I've unknowingly done that in the past. 
not knowing that it has helped me overcome that that syndrome from time to time because I do like to save a couple of emails. I remember getting specific email from the director of marketing for the team that I support saying, oh, by the way, Soraida is the secret sauce. Great job on this project. And I remember saying that because I thought to myself when I was starting with my background in computer engineering, I started to support the sales and marketing team. I had that that imposter syndrome at some point where I felt that with my technical background, I wasn't going to go be able to merge into the business sector. And when I looked at that message, going back now, I realized that that's kind of my way of, of affirming that, yes, I can. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And uh, switching gears a bit into public speaking and doing presentations and if you are listening to this in, you know, in 2045 or 2050, if you remember in the year 2020, we had a global pandemic and millions of people were, again, we had to work from home and we had to learn how to use technologies like Zoom, Google Meet and whatnot to just communicate virtually with each other. So we are going through that phase of life right now of, again, figure out, okay, how do we keep our community alive? You know, how do we stay in touch with our loved ones? Uh, how do we, and again, as speakers, again, as a, as a speaker myself, I find that I need to adjust my style and the way that I do things to accommodate, again, this, uh, this audience. Uh, I do miss, you know, when we used to dress up and all of us go to an auditorium and to a conference and, I was able to like shake everybody's hand before going on stage and kind of like warm up that way. Uh, I miss that. I hope that uh, we can do that eventually, uh, some sometime soon. So I'm curious on on the area of public speaking and virtual presentations. You just gave one a couple of days ago for for this audience. How how do you like to prepare for a, a presentation? You know, when they tell you, Soraida, we'd love to invite you to this event. It's Saturday at 12 p.m. Google Meet. Here's the link. You know, what's your next step? How do you like to to prepare for those engagements? It's interesting that you mentioned that virtual environment that we're now in because it does change the gears a little bit, especially when it comes to the actual day of the event. From a preparation standpoint, I think I do very much of the similar things that I would do on a normal presentation where I would... For me, I feel like public speaking is like any other repetitive learning environment or skill that you can acquire. And I'll relate it to to the sport that I do or that I practice. One of them is CrossFit and the other one's running. I would relate it to running where if you're going to go and run a half half marathon or a marathon, you don't just expect to go the day of the event and run full mode you will prepare yourself and kind of work your your body, your momentum to get to that level. The same goes with public speaking from how, how I see it. And one of the things that I love to do in order to prepare for that is, interestingly enough, I love to listen to other people speak. And for me, that, that gets me in the mode and um, almost like in the character of public speaking where I pick up certain ways that people behave when they're doing public speaking. I love watching TED TED Talks. I love listening to the podcast for Toastmasters, 
where they uh, they just narrate, either narrate or tell a story or um, are actively engaging into public speaking. That's one of the things that when I know I'm going to have a presentation coming up, I engage myself into looking at either the videos or listening to the podcast so that I get in that mode and I get my, my mind and myself prepared for that. And of course, crafting your, your story. When it comes to public speaking or when it comes to presenting, uh, either on the web or in, in, in person, I think really understanding what story you're going to be telling and understand, understanding what is it that you want the audience to take away is the thing that helps people feel more prepared. Because one of the things that I often hear from people is they're scared to do public speaking or they don't feel comfortable. And I think a lot of that discomfort comes from the fear of either forgetting what you're going to say or thinking that you don't know what you're going to say or thinking that the audience is not going to like what you're saying. And a lot of that, I think, has to do with the way that you prepare and the way that you're able to craft your story and the takeaway that you want to have for the audience. So that's the way that I prepare myself when when I'm kind of crafting my story. It's what what do I want the audience to to feel? Do I want them to feel motivated? Am I just providing them information? Do I want them to feel empowered? Do I want what do I want them to to feel? Um, I think that's one of the, my my best speaking abilities, being able to promote a sentiment to the audience. And the other thing is, what what takeaway do I want the audience to to have at the end of this? What call to action do I want to leave them with at the end of this presentation? And really crafting that out, um, telling my my starting my beginning, my middle, my three points, and then my conclusion is really what helps me feel prepared to have either public speaking presentation or the webinar presentation. And it's interesting that you mentioned the the day of the event, because one of the things that I love to do when I'm doing a public speaking presentation is to interact with the audience. And being in a virtual world now, there's not a lot of room for that. For one of those things that I do recommend for myself or that I have done for myself now in a virtual world is try to get to the event, the webinar or the virtual meeting a couple of minutes before and then just try to ask questions with the audience try to do the same thing as i would have do, have done in a actual room so that i can feel a little bit more comfortable with the audience because one of the things that i've noticed for people who are doing webinars and when you're doing public speaking you, you have i personally love to get the audience involved so that you can continue that engagement and you really don't have the opportunity when you're in a virtual environment. So finding even ways to do maybe rhetorical questions where you're just keying the audience to stop and think of something, but they don't necessarily have to answer back. So there's, I think, to answer your question from a preparation standpoint, I love to get myself and my mind in the mode by listening to a lot of TED Talks or presentations and then really preparing my speech crafting the way that I'm going to do it so that I don't feel that I'm not going to be fully prepared on the day of the event. Got it. And then having that call to action, very clear, like chiseling stone and 
working backwards, right? So, so how do you get to that that uh, call to action? Because okay, that, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. That's uh, that's very similar to to what I do, and uh, I find that everybody has their own style, right? And everybody has their and again, that's what that's why we we keep getting invited to do speaking gigs, right? Because people uh, identify with that style. Maybe they enjoy that. Oh, Soraida tells the best stories. I love the way that Soraida tells a story. Or maybe, oh, we love that Carlos, because Carlos has the best analogies when he's doing a presentation. So, like, everybody has their own style. It's like, uh, like our mutual friend, you know, like Fernando Rosario in, in Florida, that he's, he's been to Shep events. He's a... He's like the quintessential chef speaker. Everybody wants to be Fernando Rosario oh, yeah. at some point. <laughs> Is that he just lightens up the, the, the room. It's just like energy. And that's why he keeps getting invited, right? Because uh, not only he has the network, but also because he has his own style that is his. So, so when you go to a, a, a Fernando Rosario workshop, you know what to expect. It's not the kind of workshop that you're going to sit back and just like take notes if you want to get your... ID scanned and, you know, no, 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 you're going to participate willingly or not. <laughs> right. <laughs> so I'm curious on how, and again, like going back to a little bit on, on the, you know, the journey to becoming a speaker, uh, you mentioned Toastmasters, how it helped you uh, realize that, uh, improve, but I'm curious, you know, how do you realize that you were, you were good at it, you know, and how do you realize that? Huh, this is uh, something that I can have in my toolbox and keep sharp. How how do you go about that? That's an interesting question because I feel like I'm still realizing that. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's an ever ever growing idea that depends on on the participation and on your on the level of again like a sport. The more you 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 um you practice it and the more that you go out there and and do public speaking, the, the better you become at it. And um, there's different stages, I feel like, because I remember when I was in college, I participated a lot in, in student organizations. And when we, for those of you guys who are listening that don't know necessarily of the structure of, of SHIP and Society of Hispanic Professional Engineers, there's student chapters at a college level. And through those chapters, there's officers that essentially run the, the organization at a college level. And I was part of that, uh, of the, the board for SHEP when I was in, coll- in, in college. And I think one of the times that I remember, I remember people telling me, you make it look so easy. Getting in front of the, of the classroom and one of, during a meeting for SHEP and commanding their room. I remember people telling me, you make it look really easy. And while other people felt uncomfortable or were just shy to have one PowerPoint slide that they were presenting and they would get very nervous. And for me, I think the way that I always looked at it was I'm having a conversation. I'm having a conversation with, you know, it can be 5, 20, 40 people in the room, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, I'm trying to communicate something to them. And for me, that was the only focus point. And that allowed for the intimidation factor to kind of be reduced where I have a motive and my motive is to communicate information to you. 
And one of the things that I often tell people is I, I have an accent and a lot of people get intimidated by that. And for me is if you don't understand me the first time, I'll tell you three other ways so that you can understand it. And I think I use that to my advantage in the fact that I want to communicate something effectively to you. And the more that I practice at it, the more efficient and the more effective I will be. And we can only do that by continuing to practice. So I think very early on, just from hearing people that I made it look easy was when I started realizing that maybe because it was easy to me, it wasn't necessarily easy to other people. And that's when I, when I started to realize that maybe this was something that came natural to me. But of course, after I was invited to do public speaking or presentations, then that's a whole other, a whole nother level of public speaking because you're now doing it at a larger level. And I mean, if, if you are thinking of yourself as a speaker to an audience of 10, 15, 20 people, and then you're introduced to an audience of 500 people, whatever it may be, then you, I don't think the, the size of the audience matters, but the level of growth that you experience when you're being exposed to, to larger audiences um, does come and add to a different stage of you as a speaker. So I think I'm still discovering those new stages, but definitely the first time that I felt I experienced that was when people told me that I made it look easy. Definitely. And, and making it look easy, that's the... That's a key part, right, of, of the competency because the idea is that I, it's a it's a skill. It's a skill. It's like uh, riding a bike. Is that uh, hey, right? Do you know how to ride a bike? Yes. I mean, I can't participate in the Tour de France, but I know how to ride a bike. You know, so is the difference between you know riding riding your bike to go to the grocery store or you know being like a high level athlete. Right. There's a difference between, okay, I'm going to do a presentation for my team at work versus, you know, I'm going to go fill one of these LinkedIn conferences that they do for like 5,000 people. So it's a, it's a skill and it's an ever growing skill. You know, it's, it's something that you, you, you never finish learning it. Like, uh, okay, I'm done. I learned everything I needed to learn about public speaking. Uh, so I love the fact that, that, that you realize that, that is that, uh, well, it's a growing, growing part of your your toolbox, if you will. Right. What are maybe like two or three things that I I'm, I hesitate to use this word, but two or three common mistakes or common mishaps that you see that people do when they're doing virtual presentations? I think one of the most... Uh... Again, I'll, I, I'll, I'll relate it back to not just only mm-hmm. virtual presentations, but also to public speaking in general. I think I'm part of Toastmasters, and Toastmasters, for those of you guys who haven't heard of it, it's a, national, a worldwide organization that promotes leadership and communication through clubs all across the world. And I am part of a club through my company. And one of the things that we do... Um, a Toastmaster is, is give immediate feedback uh, that, that would allow you to grow as you're presenting and learning how to do public speaking. And one of the things that I often give feedback on 
uh, especially for for new individuals who are just starting to do public speaking, is that if you're walking through a presentation or a public speaking presentation, either webinar um, or in person, is that people want you to succeed. That's the number one thing. Nobody wants to go see you on stage or go log into your webinar and see you fail. They are there because they have an interest in you succeeding and they want to hear what you have to say. And one of the things that I often see people is that they're in the middle of something and they, for whatever reason, forget their phrase or forget what they're saying. And they say, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And that's the thing that I always put on the feedback. Don't ever apologize because nobody will ever know that you messed up, especially if you're the one directing the, the meeting. They won't know that you messed up unless you tell them. Instead of apologizing, I like to encourage to take pauses. To if you feel in, if you're running through a script in your head, or if you have something prepared and you feel that you messed up, don't apologize. Instead, reflect on it quickly in your head. Take a pause and continue on. I think that's definitely one of the things that I've seen people often craft through their story and come to stumble on that part and try to apologize. I, I think a, an alternative to that will be just take a pause and continue with your with your presentation. That's definitely one of, of the most common definitely. ones that I see. Just realizing that silence is your friend. And you right. can use it as a tool, and sometimes right? To just make emphasis and uh, that strategic use of down talk So instead of saying, well, and that's all I want to say about that. No, that's all I want to say about that. And people will hold on to the edge of their seats and, wow, what, what's coming next? What's coming next? So, so it's, and, and I've seen that like physically, I will pause and people will, all of a sudden people will go like, you know, like we're just waiting for the next part of the sentence. Right. Yeah, definitely. And then the other thing that I, think um, it's like I mentioned, for me, it's important to have a call for action. And one of the things that I've seen, not as often, but it happens, especially with people who are just starting into public speaking or webinar presenting, is that they don't have a clear call to action. Or we, we don't fully understand what they have too many, um, too many points that you don't know what the biggest takeaway is and having a clear understanding of what is it that you want the presenters to and sometimes it might be that you know different individuals take away different things but if that maybe that's the case of the presentation you're trying to give you're trying to give to a different that to a, a the presentation to a different types of audiences and i think that ties up to understanding who your audience is and really understanding what is it that the audience is there to gain from your presentation. Um, understanding your audience. And I think this can be maybe a little bit more challenging when it comes to a virtual environment because you have a larger audience that you're not necessarily tied to like one specific group. Um, so it might become a little bit more challenging, but That is an, an area where I, I think understanding your audience and understanding what 
the takeaways that you want to give from from your presentation uh, is really important and is often some of the, the things that I see people kind of neglecting when it comes to public speaking. Definitely. Definitely. It's, it's all about the audience. And mm-hmm. I'm going to owe you the... I'm going to owe you the third one. Was I think about it, I'm sure I'll come through as we continue oh, to sure. speak. No, 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 um, no problem. No problem. I think, I think, I think there's a lot of, uh, <laughs> a lot of golden nuggets there, uh, especially, you know, coming up with a convincing call to action, uh, practicing, embracing silence. Something that I've had to learn as well is the fact that I don't control how people see me. So I can't control whether people are, watching the presentation in their iPad or their laptop or their phone while they're cooking or or whatnot. I, I don't control any of that. So I have to be mindful. And I, I, I'm borrowing this phrase from a, a LinkedIn class that I took. We're all movie stars now. So we, we all of us, we have to look at the camera. <laughs> because it's the difference right. between seeming confident and uh, looking down to the camera and looking like a, like one of our tios in FaceTime, you know, looking down at the at the phone or something like that. So it's a uh, that'd be like the one thing that, that I realized um, people not looking at the camera enough and and just being again transmitting that sense of uh, of looking relaxed and making it look easy because right. if you look tense. You're going to make me tense. So if you look tense and you look like, uh, okay, uh, where are my notes? Uh, okay, I have my water and I have my my this thing that makes a lot of noise. And it's really annoying in the, sorry for the folks with, with headphones. And you're gonna if you look nervous, you're going to make me nervous. So realize that. And smile. Right. Smile. And that, that's one of the things. When in doubt, mm-hmm. smile. <laughs> yeah, no. I'll... Yeah, and and now that you mentioned that, um, I thought of another thing that I know. It's I think this is an advantage to doing webinars and presentations online, is that when you have, when you're doing public speaking in person, you depends on the scenario. You might have some notes. You'll have, like you said, either a note, post-it note, or your notebook or something on your on your hand. And now with having the ability to do web presentations, one of the, the cool things that you can do is you can have your notes on the on your back on the back of, of your computer or on the screen that you're looking at. Because at the end of the day, if you're looking at the camera, straight at the camera, but you're look, glancing slightly at your notes, that will give you the opportunity that for the audience to think that you're mm-hmm. always looking at, at the webcam, but in reality you're kind of glancing through your notes. Um, so definitely that's another another pointer. And I know, um, I think one another thing that I've seen speakers do is when they have scripted either um, papers or something that they were meaning to read is being monotonic when they're reading that. Um, having the same vocal variety um, at, as you would when you're reading a script. Uh, and that just comes with Definitely. practice, being able to practice that. Definitely. Definitely. And I, and I think it's really uh, something that, that, I, that I think that uh, folks can learn to embrace is that, hey, we're doing it from our home. You shouldn't be, I mean, there, there shouldn't be any place that you feel more comfortable in than in your own home. 
So embracing right. that, embracing that opportunity that, hey, I, and, and I know, like, we saw all the memes in the beginning in March and April of, oh, yeah, I'm, go, I'm working on, on shorts or I'm working in my pajamas or whatnot. Great. You know, so embrace that. Embrace that. Embrace the fact that, hey, you know, I'm thirsty. I can go to my kitchen and get water from my fridge and on all those things. So I'm at my desk and I don't have this uh, underlying tension that, oh, I flew to a conference or I drove like a few hours to a conference. I'm staying at a hotel. I probably didn't sleep well last night. All these little things. So embrace that. You know, and I find that um, right. and I find that with all the opportunities to speak out there, you know, in a band bride, meetup, uh, and again, all the student groups, all the student organizations, uh, especially SHEP, they love having professionals teach them and mentor them. So give it a try. Give right. it a try. So I encourage folks that are professionals that they wanted to, again, look for a venue, approach, you know, look at SHEP plus the name of your local university or the university you went to and Connect with those folks, because if you're curious on, hey, you know, I want to give back, I want to teach a group of students what we do at this company or this business that I run, uh, you can definitely you know, share the share the wisdom with an audience. Yeah, definitely. I think and that's one of the interesting things uh, as I think it was when lockdown started back in March, one of the the chapters from for the demographic of, of SHEP purposes, uh, we are in the California, Northern California, which is part of region one. Southern California is region two. SHEP has seven regions across the United States. And a, a chapter from region two reached out to me and they said that they were looking to have people present or professionals present at their, at their online meetings that they were hosting now. and. I thought that was amazing because in another scenario, I wouldn't normally have, I, I've done through my time as regional vice president for SHIP, I did a lot of visits to to campuses and to professional chapters, and I never had necessarily the opportunity to go to another region to speak. So with now having a virtual environment and a virtual platform, I thought it was awesome that I had the opportunity to speak to a different audience. And I, I thought it was really cool. So definitely for anybody who's wanting to participate, uh, a lot of the student organizations out there, um, SHIP and many others are always willing and to, to have um, participants. And another thing with virtual environment now, all of the Toastmaster mm -hmm. groups are virtual. If anybody wanted to join any of the Toastmaster groups, um, they can go on toastmasters.org and look for a club and see how they are holding their virtual let's, meetings let's, and now public right. speaking let's, let's is accessible. That, because I think that we we owe a lot to Toastmasters as uh, as members and you've been an officer too. So I think that we owe it a lot. Let, let's do a little Toastmasters commercial, uh, I think, because... Uh, because uh, Definitely. So, so like what should I expect when I join the... When I go to a Toastmasters meeting? You know, what? Uh, what should I expect? So Toastmasters meeting is, you would expect a lot of fun and a lot of people speaking. Depending on the club that you go to, you will also expect a lot of clapping 
I don't think I've ever gone into a Toastmasters meeting where people are not excited and truly and authentically enthusiastic about seeing you succeed. That's definitely the environment that I've that I've seen at every Toastmasters meeting. And what you would normally expect is traditionally Toastmasters has a theme for the day and a Toastmaster. That Toastmaster is the individual who essentially runs the meeting. They 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 are the host, the Toastmaster for the duration of the meeting, which is normally an hour. And during that time, they are the ones that are introducing the individuals that are going to come up to stage. Normally, you have anything from two to three speakers, depending on how the duration of the club is ran. And you have um, individuals with different roles. One of the roles, which I talked about at the beginning of, of today, was Table Topics Master. And what the Table Topics Master does is uh, they are an individual who is, normally they try to pick a couple of questions that are in alignment with the theme. And they ask the audience to answer that question within a minute and a half to two minutes answer, which is a quick way to think. And I love Table Topics because it's one of the ways to engage to public speaking without feeling nervous or too anxious to prepare a speech. It's on the spot. You can either volunteer for it or they might call on you. If you're coming in as a guest and you feel brave and you want to answer a table topics, they will love it, uh, any, any meeting that you go to. So normally you have your table topics master who's giving a couple of questions to the audience. And then you have your main speakers who are giving us a prepared speech. It can be anything from seven to 10 minutes for beginners or um, sometimes a little bit longer for more advanced speeches. And you also have a thing that I love about Toastmasters, mm -hmm. which is the evaluators. You are getting on-demand evaluation for your speech. And one of the things that when you told me that we were going to be recording and have video, I brought all of the little notes that I kept for the many. I have a, a little box for those of you guys, for those of you guys who are listening to us, but for those of us who can see us on on our YouTube mm -hmm. on Google's channel. I kept all that's of mine beautiful. from that's beautiful. the years. That, that, that's your kudos box. And what essentially. I have, like, like you can just go, go, go. Yeah, this is my like kudos a, box. And even like I have all my uh, my uh, best speaker of the day uh, banners, the, the ribbons. I ha I have the them ribbon. here. Same thing. Right. Like it feels nice to look at them. It just feels nice that like uh, like oh wow like I right I, I kicked ass that day. It was a great day because I I was able to to make that. Definitely. And what this is, the, the little slips that I have are a part of um, an evaluation and feedback forms that you have when you go to a Toastmasters club. And normally you have your evaluator, assign evaluator to your speech, give a two to two and a half minute evaluation of your speech to provide you feedback on how you can improve. They also let you know what things you did good and where you excelled. There's a scripted form that they can follow. And, and then that's pretty much the, you also have an individual who is counting your crutch words and they are the ones that are making sure that when you're speaking, you don't say, um, um, but so, and 
they are the ones that are counting them and telling telling them up. Normally, depending on the role, you'll have like a grammarian, somebody who has a word of the day. So it's a whole agenda, scripted agenda, that you essentially, every time you go into a Toastmasters meeting, you are learning something, whether you are participating or whether you're actively listening, because communication is a two-way thing. Communication is speaking and it's also listening and actively listening. So no matter what you do when you come to a Toastmasters meeting is you will be prepared to learn either through communication or through active listening. And that's what you would expect when you go to a Toastmasters meeting. And and I'll add uh, a couple of the the meetups that I've gone to virtually. Uh, I've been to a Toastmasters uh, meetings. I mean, here in Silicon Valley, in New York, in funny enough, in San Antonio as well, in Texas. And uh, great communities, super friendly folks. And uh, yeah, I will echo that, uh, the enthusiasm and the warmth of the folks, of the people that are welcoming you and they want to see you succeed. Uh, I think that's that's part of the reason why I keep going back is the fact that uh, you have this community and you have this, uh, this field where you can play and where you can, you know, where, where failing is allowed. And where the idea is that, right. yeah, maybe I have a lot of filler words and I need to give a speech next week. So I want to you know, go to a Toastmasters meeting and do a table topic speech just because I want to practice. I want to warm up. And and that's one of my strategies, actually. Right. When I want to get ready for a, a big a big gig, I I go, but I do that in too. purpose, I will go to a Toastmasters meeting of a club that I don't know. Because that extra tension that I don't know anybody and I want to make a good impression uh, keeps me on my toes and helps me, again, helps me, mm-hmm. keep, keeps me honest in a way that keeps me, again, making sure that I'm delivering at the right level. So I'm I'm really happy to learn that you do some the same thing. <laughs> no, yeah, I do that same. Anytime I have part of my kind of getting in the zone of public speaking is I, may, I make sure that if I'm going to have a presentation or a public speaking event or webinar that on, on the weekend, I make sure that I sign up to be a speaker at my club that week or the week before so that I can prepare. And it, I don't, it doesn't have to be necessarily on the same topic that I'm going to be speaking about, but just so that I can get in the mode of the feel of presenting and feeling comfortable while I'm doing that. I do want to share with you one of the one of the feedback forms that I that I received because I think one of the things that often people are maybe scared about is the vulnerability of I don't want to call it failing but maybe being um, mm-hmm. being judged in a way for your ability to do public speaking and I want to make sure that people who are listening are fully aware that. Any, no matter where you put yourself in, I think there's always going to be a level of vulnerability. But because public speaking is a skill that you can learn, I think that is really important for us to embrace those comments and that feedback that at the end of the day is only to make sure that you grow. And uh, with the many, the box that I showed you that had all the feedback forms, there's from when I first started to most recently, and until we started doing, stop doing in-person meetings. 
And I want to share with you two of the ones that I just randomly picked up. One of them was from when I first started. And the feedback that I received was, there's a lot of information. It's kind of hard to follow. And I think I hold just as high the, the feedback that I got for this one as I do for the positive ones. Because, because of that feedback that I received, I was able to go back and think, okay, what did I do on this speech? And how can I make my speech more effective when I have a lot of information? And I want to make sure that people understand that, that if you put yourself in a position where you're open to receive effective feedback, that that is the one way that will really help you grow and develop and essentially become a better speaker. When you're open to other people giving you constructive feedback. Definitely. Definitely. No, I, I love it. I, I love everything about this. Uh, 